0: From the orphanage, to the convent, to the circus, to the wrestling ring. Today, it's the story of Cora Livingston. Crazy territory stories, double crosses and swerves. Pro wrestling history nerds. You did it, you pressed the button. You're here, you're there, you're somewhere, some when? Am I in the past, are you in my future? Who cares, eternity devours us all. What am I talking about, who am I? My name is Nick Gossert. And I am a pro-wrestling promoter, a pro-wrestling booker, occasionally a ring announcer. But more importantly for today, I am a pro-wrestling historian. And I am here with a special guest host. It's Heidi Howitzer. How the heck are ya?
1: Oh boy, how am I? Just swell, especially after that intro. It was like if Coast to Coast was worse. (laughs) It's amazing. It's so good. But yeah, I'm swell. Oh, I don't know if we want to say I'm a professional wrestler, but I'm a wrestler. Sure, sure am. I am technically a wrestler. And I just want everyone to know before he edits it in post that there was a tremendous long long pause before he called me his friend. So just... want everyone to be aware of that (laughs) get to really think on that one
0: and we are talking about an awesome person an awesome wrestler an awesome bit of history today we are going to be discussing the times the life the career of Cora Livingston and if you haven't heard of Cora Livingston well join the gosh darn club did you ever know about Cora Livingston before I brought her up
1: I really didn't like there. And honestly, there's not a huge amount of um, women's wrestlers from the past that even get brought up. But I think Mildred Burke, who we talked about previously is probably one of the only like old school ones, you know, the black and white, uh, the talkies era of wrestlers uh, that ever gets touched on. But yeah, no, even like, and as I'm sure we'll discuss more, The Wikipedia article on her is like crazy bare. It's hardly anything at all.
0: Yep, so that's of course why I chose this challenge, and challenge it was, because you might remember at the end of my epic 11-part Tom Jenkins series, I was like, hey, I'm gonna just knock out some fun ones, some one-offs, but no, I had to dive right back into that time period for another deep dive back to the early 1900s, back to the era of, gotch, Hackenschmidt Jenkins, and as not many people know, but you will know now, Cora Livingston. Cora Livingston was one of the first women stars. There's been women wrestling, professionally wrestling, for decades, if not more than a century before this, in carnivals and circuses, both in Europe and in the United States. But Cora was one of the first wrestlers to take being a woman in wrestling away from the carnival, away from the sideshow, and bring it into the theaters, bring it into the vaudeville halls, and put it nearly on equal footing as men's wrestling. And this is in the early 1900s. So, in a way, that's that's insane to think about because you never hear about it. You never think, hey, there was a woman champion in professional wrestling, competing in front of thousands of people, doing all the crazy pro wrestling stunts and carny nonsense that we know and love. And this was happening in like 1905, 1910, well before World War One,
1: Which is wild because realistically, most people when they think about women's wrestling don't, well, especially like American women's wrestling, don't think about anything prior to the 90s, if not the late 90s. Uh, Now, obviously, like in Japan and everything, it's a little different. They never took that back step and it continued to progress, continued to progress. But yeah, I mean, you don't hear really anything about women's wrestling prior to that, at least over here.
0: Yeah, because I mean, honestly, if it weren't for Mae Young and Mula being involved in WWE television in the early 2000s, heck, I don't even feel like most people would know anything about those days, those kind of pre and early NWA days, if Mae Young wasn't getting power bombed by Mark Henry through a table while in her (laughs) eighties, which is mind boggling, I feel like still people wouldn't even know much about that era, let alone what was happening in the late 1800s, early 1900s, when there was enough media to really start covering this. And Cora Livingston was somebody I found more or less as just a throwaway mention in a biography about Mildred Burke.
1: And that's what I was going to ask is how you found out about her and how you found her name. So yeah, yeah, and how you went down the rabbit hole, so to speak.
0: Initially, I found her name in a biography about Mildred Burke, where she was a little bit of a mentor earlier in her career, an encourager, if you will, because Burke was the first real woman star after Cora Livingston, and She was very encouraging of Mildred's career, of her stardom, of her, you know, just her push as a strong woman in professional wrestling, because that's what Cora was in her day. And then when I was researching Frank Gotch, George Hackenschmidt, Tom Jenkins, when I was searching wrestling newspapers in the early 1900s, I would occasionally go past her name and be like, huh, who is this person? Because she would be advertised. Every
1: match was like. Women's main event creates riot downtown.
0: (laughs) You are so on the money with that because yes, there was so much of it where it was just, hey, every Saturday she is appearing at this theater or she's over here at this theater doing the challenge matches where if you could last 10 minutes with her, you get $25. She was doing the same challenge match theater, vaudeville, burlesque hall stuff that the men were doing where it would be like, hey, this champion wrestler is going to be here. Doing matinee and evening performances, taking on all comers and anyone who could last ten minutes with her would get twenty-five dollars. Again, doing the same level of performances, the same style that her male counterparts of the day were doing, but when it comes time to define the history of professional wrestling, again she kind of gets left off of the uh, le- left off of the survey class, and a lot of it is gender. It's a lot of it is who's going to benefit from her story? Because again, the only reason I feel people like Mae Young and uh, Moolah were brought up is because WWE could make money off of their names and their likenesses. And therefore that's why they get heard of as opposed to you know June Byers and Mildred Burke.
1: Yep, anyone else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, AEW drop, name dropped Mildred Burke in the uh, pay-per-view this past weekend in the women's match. And I was shocked. I was like, whoa, it really just blew my mind. I I, I thought of you when it happened. I meant to message you, so yes.
0: And that's why I'm really excited to do this series. That's why I jumped in with both feet, got back into the newspaper archives to put this story together, because once again, that story isn't out there. There is no definitive biography of Cora Livingston. There is no book that you read where it's just her life and career story. There's no documentary, there's nothing really to reference, so I kind of baked this cake from scratch, if you will. The ingredients, I had to find them all, and kind of this is where I come to the disclaimer, the, hey, you know what, I did the best I could with the information that was out there, because keep in mind, this is not somebody who is wrestling arena shows. She was not wrestling, you know, the big Frank Gotch style in front of 20,000 people in a baseball stadium type of matches. She was competing in vaudeville halls, in theater, part of traveling burlesque troops, things like that. So she was out there
1: being a fucking worker is what she was doing.
0: You have no idea, but you will soon because she is the definition of a, a working wrestler. Like she was working every single night of the week, different theaters, different cities, different states, Doing hard matches which, you know, some of them are gonna be completely bonkers But because it was a little bit of a a, a lesser note in the Sports media. Yeah, there's gonna be some parts where it's like here's the buildup. Here's the buildup. Here's the buildup What happened? No idea. I searched everywhere couldn't find a goddamn thing But I'm they trying didn't to have they, they didn't have cage match in the 1920s exactly and this is a situation where I put together the best information I could with the archives I have access to. So there may be people out there who are like, Oh, you know, I'm actually this person's niece and I heard it this way, or my grandfather was the promoter of this. And he told me the story this way. Guess what? You may be right. I am doing the best I can with the information I have to distill it into the greatest truth possible because the other joy with doing pro wrestling research is sometimes you can read five different articles about the same match and get five different finishes because sometimes the reporter because sometimes the reporter doesn't know pro wrestling so doesn't know how to properly describe a move or they didn't know which person was which or didn't understand why the referee stopped it or sometimes it's you know what i have to catch a train back to the city i live in so i'm just going to call it good after the first fall because most matches in these days were two out of threes And I'm going to go home and I'll turn in my homework as is, get a C, don't care.
1: Perfect. Good. Well, that's, uh, that's one of those things too. I mean, with, you know, kayfabe and all of that, then that ends up changing the viewpoints of all those articles too. And it's not like people were comparing and contrasting on the internet at that point to see what their opinions are. And at the end of the day, everything's a body slam, right?
0: And... Also, the thing we're going to find, and I, I love this, and I found this in a lot of biographies I've put together from this time period, where some media would be like, oh, my God, can you believe this happened? What wildness, what insanity is in pro wrestling? And then, like, a more established wrestling town's media will be like, can you believe these rubes fell for that? What a <laughs> bunch of yeah. ducks.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, just like
0: just like now. So with that, that disclaimer, and with those expectations, let's jump into the life of Cora Livingston. According to most versions of her story, she was born in or near Buffalo, New York, though at other times it was claimed that she was born in Montreal with a birthday somewhere in 1887 or 1888, either way, her parents died when she was very young and she was sent to an orphanage slash convent. So. Practically a supervillain origin already. Yes,
1: that's what I was going to say. So that was one of the things that really stuck out to me in the uh, the the article that I read. So just a little preface for everyone: I go into these like relatively blind. I ask I ask this fine gentleman here what I should do as far as my own due diligence and research. He's like, "Oh, just read the Wikipedia article." So I would like to uh, use that as a disclaimer for my ignorance. However. However, that blew my mind when I read this and I'm like, this bitch was raised by nuns. Like, I'm sure she had some pent up issues to take out in the wrestling ring.
0: And we're not talking like modern day nuns. No, we're talking like late 1800s nuns. Like felonies don't apply to them nuns. Like child skeletons found in the garden nuns. So yes, this was- They they don't
1: allow any nonsense,
0: huh? Oh, I'm ending this episode already. But yeah, so this is clearly, like I said, it's it's very much the hero villain origin story, parents dead, nebulous birthday, onto a convent, and the Chattanooga News on January 14th, 1908 recounted her youth, quote, from a convent to the wrestling mat is the record of Miss Cora Livingston, champion woman wrestler, appearing in vaudeville and takes on all comers of her sex. She entered a convent when young, following the death of her parents, and stayed there until 16 years of age. She is an accomplished musician. The woman head spinner is now 19 years of age. She weighs 132 pounds and is 5 feet 2 inches tall. During her career on the match, she has wrestled over 50 championship matches and appeared over 300 times in public, and claims she has never lost a match. I'm going to start claiming that too. She likes wrestling and goes in to win, unmindful of the consequences. She takes on all comers and sails in for her opposition in regular championship style.
1: All right, so first of all, I would like you to start introducing me to the ring in the exact same way. Like a full paragraph. Um, But no, that's that's phenomenal, and that's wild. So yeah, at 19 years of age, she was already getting some nice coverage and, uh, had already made that many appearances. That's
0: batshit. shit. Well, that's how it was in those days because, you know, you would be working literally every single day, if not doing matinees and nights as well. And I do love like, especially in these days, how the origins were so nebulous, so subject to change. Origin subject to change. The Washington <laughs> Post on January 26 oh eight, claimed that her parents died when she was an infant and sent to a Canadian convent. Quote, the fates which have brought this tidy little lady to the footlights in such a strenuous capacity have weaved about her early life, a story which is romantic enough to satisfy the most sentimental.
1: Like, it's great because the the room for sensationalism there is just
0: So broad. And some of these, I don't necessarily think are real because throughout the course of her career, she was claimed to have been trained by Dan McLeod, Dr. Benjamin Roller, Frank Gotch, more accurately, Laura Bennett, and later by Paul Bowser. But that's because the big male stars of the day were Dan McLeod, Benjamin Roller, and Frank Gotch. So obviously- that's That's just
1: who you listed as your trainer.
0: Yeah, exactly. It was like, I mean, who's going to double check that? And if they're going to double check it is like Frank Gotch probably didn't even know who Cora Livingston was, maybe in passing. But yeah, it's it's a situation where, oh yeah, who trained you? Oh, by golly, it's the biggest stars of the day.
1: Right, exactly. And well, and it's funny that you brought that up because like right before you did, I was going to ask like, what was her back? Like what, where did she train? Who did she train? Did she train at the convent? I like to think that. I like to think it's like that whole like, um, why can't I think a sect of warrior nuns, wrestler nuns? I that's what I that's what I want out of this now is the uh, yeah they like fight demons or something wrestle they wrestle with their demons. Wow, that's you know a metaphor or
0: something. Well, I mean it is most likely she was just probably was wrestling the other girls at the convent because this is a time when wrestling was still something kind of everybody knew a little bit about because yeah. the, you know like you you had siblings you had other people you had aunts you had uncles wrestling was something that happened at every fair at every neighborhood thing it's how a lot of problems got settled so everybody's exposure to wrestling was a much higher quotient than it would be today or even decades after this and then you know what you probably put a bunch of girls with rage and emotional problems in a convent well probably they're going to be settling the their their issues with one another in a physical fashion with that with a good old locker, too she debuted in 1905 and later in 1905 she defeated hazel parker for the championship of america according to the pittsburgh post-gazette in 1910 it was quote a desperate match and this was also a time where nearly every match that you could sell tickets to was listed as a championship match of some kind or another. So again, it's a little vague on whether this was an actual title or just a way they advertise the match.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I guess, so she would have debuted when she was like 17, something along there. Yeah, this was a
0: time when most of the women wrestlers that you'll encounter through the story are 16, 17, 18, 19, like 20 is an experienced wrestler who is you know you'll you'll see matches you'll hear about matches where it's like oh the greatly experienced cora livingston age 21 knew too many tricks for her 17 year old opponent wow what a time What a what a different what a different time that was well yeah but it's if you're old but think about it if like you're a woman in the year 1900 what are your job options other than being a wife.
1: I was gonna say getting pregnant or uh, being a carny apparently, and I know which one sounds more appealing to me.
0: So exactly. It's, yes, it's selling
1: tickets to the fair.
0: <laughs> and speaking of the fair, she wrestled in the circus at age 16, and according to the Washington Times on January 26, 1908, she ran away from the convent to join the circus and first excelled as a trapeze artist before learning a few moves from the circus wrestlers.
1: Which is, it's crazy. and actually makes so much sense, like cross training wise. I would imagine if you can walk a trapeze, you can, you know, maybe do something off the ropes, maybe just a little bit. I couldn't.
0: And the other big overlap is always gonna be the strong man, strong woman and wrestling, especially in the late 1800s when Greco-Roman wrestling, which is more of a kind of strength, upper body based wrestling style. So you would have the strong man, strong woman, they would come out, give a demonstration of their might. And then they would also be the same people wrestling because if you are strong enough to be a circus strong man, you are darn right gonna be strong enough to crush somebody over backwards with a bear hug if you know how to get in position. So yes, that is the circus overlap to wrestling is almost a certainty to most people in this era. Later press would claim she gained her reputation by winning matches while still in high school. Again, who knows if these are different versions told by her or just press rumors, who can say? because you'll have the story of her, you know, getting a proper education or running away and joining the circus. Did one lead to the other? Did one happen instead of the other? I kind of have a feeling that, you know, she did get a certain amount of education at the convent and did run away and join the circus, which led her to the wild world of professional wrestling. As one does. The first documented match I could find was in March, 1906 at the Lafayette Theater in Buffalo, New York. From the Buffalo Commercial, March 2nd, 1906, an article about the entertainments at the Lafayette Theater that week, including, quote, A bit of nonsense entitled, The Wise Guy. The whole piece is designed to furnish fun, and it succeeds in the fullest degree. I I love the old vaudeville ads, because this is a day when... You would go see a vaudeville evening where it would be two short, funny plays, a juggler, a singer, a chorus, a punster. Yes, there were punsters differentiating from the comedians. There were punsters. So, and comedians. So what you're
1: saying is I was born much too late.
0: Yeah, I'm, a, I'm afraid so, <laughs> and then you would also have the pro wrestling and it would all be layered together in one wild and crazy night. And yes, we are here to talk about the wrestling part of the night. And later in the article, quote, Miss Cora Livingston, champion featherweight, and Mrs. Hazel Parker, champion featherweight of the United States, are with the company. They meet all comers, and any woman whom one or the other fails to throw in 15 minutes gets $25. Each of the wrestlers weighs 110 pounds when no victim is there for their prowess presents herself at any moment, they wrestle each other, and the bouts are always lively. Which is awfully nice to be marketed as a champion right out of the gate.
1: Yeah. Take note, bookers. Can't complain there. So I do have a question for you, because I don't... Shocker, I don't actually know. About how long were match cards at this time? Was it, like, a great variance between, or... Like, let's say, would it be like, you know, there's going to be wrestling. Is it just one attraction, like for challenges or match, what have you, or is it like six or an all day
0: affair? No, it's usually was fairly compact because keep in mind, they're layering the wrestling with other entertainment. So right. when, like with this one where it says Cora Livingston and Hazel Parker are accepting challenges. And if nobody challenges, they will wrestle each other in a, in an exhibition match that's it there's no other pro wrestling on the card it's literally like it's these women and these women only and sometimes later on with these type of shows you would see a second or occasionally a third match but primarily it was all about see this one person and see them accept challenges and that was true of Cora the same way it was of George Hackenschmidt or Tom Jenkins where it's the star is at this theater and Whoever can last this long with them gets a prize. It's not like it was part of an overall card of wrestling. It was no, an overall card of entertainment.
1: App. Yeah, variety show. Yep.
0: But not everyone was as impressed by her at her debut. Oh. The Buffalo News on March 20th, again, wasn't exactly impressed, according to their review. quote, It is termed a wrestling bout by the management, but those who saw it would say it was a hair-pulling match. However... It was highly amusing. So the dirt sheet still existed. Good to know. Yep, the Buffalo Times on March 24th, 1906. Lady wrestlers expected to pull hair. Livingston and Parker will meet in their deciding scramble tonight. Advertising the, quote, third or deciding fall in the match for their featherweight championship of America between the two. Quote, it is calculated this will prove the star bout of the week if not one of the most furiously fought contests ever witnessed at that theater. So So
1: wrestling was still just as divisive then as it is
0: now. Shocker. Yeah, so it was a situation where some people are going, this is bullshit, some people are saying, this is amazing, others are saying, this is bullshit, but it's amazing. (laughs) Which is the correct take, (laughs) in my eyes. And those women continued their series. Both women had a fall against each other that week. Quote, Parker was put down in the second bout before she knew it, and she has never forgiven her opponent and is still furious over her easy triumph. And as she has shown a disposition to rough it during the week, tonight's bout may be said to be for blood. Last night, Parker met Miss Nelson. The bout was marked by much hair pulling, scratching, and biting. And the audience (laughs) was highly entertained.
1: Perfect, perfect. They were putting on a show. They knew what the people wanted. I love that. I like to think there was blood too.
0: I like to think they were blading. Well, this was was a wild time because it was that mindset of, you know what, if we're going to draw tickets for women's wrestling, we have to offer a little something different than what you get with the men's wrestling. Because the men's wrestling, primarily scientific grappling of holds and techniques and so on and so forth. And there really hadn't been a heel champion since Evan the Strangler Lewis in the 1890s. Everybody else had been the babyface champion. Farmer Burns, Dan McLeod, Tom Jenkins. So these were all that like upstanding white American man. And I am here to show you the, the proficiency of my wrestling technique.
1: So, well, that's good because they need a lot more shine on them. I don't think they get enough attention.
0: Exactly. It's, it's it, when, when is the the white man going to get his turn to be a star in progress? <laughs> anyway, the and that's what I really did enjoy reading about Cora because she had no problems, you as you will hear as the story unfolds, drawing money as a heel champ. Like she was a heel champ to her fucking core, and the virtue that people were showing up because you know what? I'm sure she was a fine you know, wrestler in a way, but she wasn't going to be trading hold for hold for hold in the same fashion that like a Frank Gotch or a Martin Burns would. So what do you do as we learn from ECW when you have to sell tickets, but you can't compete with the big boys with what the big boys are doing? Well, you get wild. You sell tickets off of the wildness. You pull hair, you scratch you bite. You put people through tables, you know. She is a quick and graceful wrestler, and as she is allowed only a few minutes to every opponent, wastes no time in showing off, but proceeds to throw her rivals in a speedy and workmanlike manner. What a nice thing to say about a person.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Efficient.
1: Efficiency is key. That's what everyone says. So I have a question for you. Obviously, like you've got the circus going on everywhere, but was women's wrestling really happening to the same level
0: everywhere or to the same extent? Oh, absolutely. Um, there were women wrestling matches in London, just like the same theater style thing you would see in the Eastern United States at the time. Women, strong women wrestlers were still a very important part of the the carnival and circus circuits in France and Germany. So yes, that women's wrestling heritage existed across the ocean on the continent in England as well. Neat. And the next major engagement I found for her was March 13th, 1907, the Buffalo Inquirer. Wrestling at the Garden. The Garden Theater, is that not Madison Square?
1: (laughs) I was about to say, oh shit.
0: Quote, Miss Cora Livingston in this article, they called her Miss Livingstone, but you know, it's, it's the thought that counts. Miss Livingston, the noted champion wrestler is matched to appear against an unknown, which it is said will prove a lively and interesting bout. Several preliminaries are listed for the evening. The Buffalo courier, the next day referred to Cora Livingston as quote, the model Venus.
1: Damn. That's good press.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's good press, but it's, it's also like, it's, it's weird that I'm pointing this out where it's like, oh sure. Let's, let's concentrate on her looks, not her wrestling yes. ability. No,
1: no, no. That was the next thing I was going to say is it's like, you've got this one article that's talking about how it's going to be a lively bout and great entertainment and the ladies are going to put on a show and so on and so forth. And then you've got, oh, she's hot.
0: Yep. It's the same today is the same. It was pretty much Livingston. She was a you'll see photos on twitter when i post about these episodes but um she was a very handsome woman i think is the the way to put it but you know she was not going out she wasn't showing up in like false lashes and gussied up she showed up for business she wore a a wrestling outfit had her hair up and was there to beat the shit out of somebody so it's just very funny that somebody who was not a glamour girl, she wasn't like one of Billy Wolf's girls in the right. you know, 20s and 30s. She was there for violence and she dressed accordingly.
1: I love that, that's amazing.
0: So yeah, that's why it's so frustratingly funny to be like this little fire plug of a mean orphan shows up to beat the shit out of somebody and they're like, damn, she was a a she was a, quite the dame.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's wild. I mean, but yeah, just like in wrestling nowadays as a woman, like you can go out there and see footage of yourself or photos and be like, oh man, I look like trash. And then, but you're like, but I had a good match. And then all they're talking about is like, you know, how good or not good you looked. So that's always fun. We love that. Feminism. Hell yeah.
0: Well, it's good to see there's been progress since 1907.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no kidding.
0: From the Buffalo Times, March 17th, 1907, women will wrestle at Lafayette Theater, announcing a women's wrestling tournament and recalls how Livingston defeated Parker for the title the previous fall. Quote, those who witnessed the bouts between these women will never forget them, particularly the deciding one. After it was over, the stagehands swept up enough hair to fill a mattress and both women sent messengers out for cast plaster it is said that miss parker has challenged miss livingston for a return match on several occasions she will get a revenge if she shows up this week that's yeah. phenomenal yeah i mean the hyperbole it's like they were they ripped so much hair out we could fill a mattress with it and they had to cast up all their broken bones and now miss hazel wants revenge next week
1: <laughs> let me tell World you point- something brother <laughs> so This is amazing. I want to know what the 1910s equivalent of like a you sick fuck or she's hardcore uh, chant would be because I feel like that absolutely deserves it. Um, But yeah, I'd like to think that, uh, you know, I'm going to say it was probably exaggeration and that they couldn't fill up an entire mattress of hair. But I do like to think these girls, these women were yanking so much hair that there were just like clumps of it. Um, on the mat which wrestling is sometimes real guys and that seems perfectly that seems perfectly uh feasible just just saying
0: the next day the buffalo times gave slightly more info there will be wrestling at both afternoon and evening performances the tournament will feature Cora Livingston four other women from buffalo Hazel Parker and quote many other women who have gained distinction on the wrestling mat in other cities. And the Buffalo Enquirer on March 17, 1907, covering the tournament at the Lafayette, quote, in the afternoon, Cora Livingston met May Colbert of Cleveland. And after a struggle in which both suffered punishment, Miss Livingston put her opponent down in five minutes. A letter has just been received from an English woman wrestler who claims the championship of the world. And if she can get here in time from Boston, where she has just landed, she will be given an opportunity to contest with the title. Last night, Mamie Warner met Lou Kingsley and threw her in 30 seconds. Bessie Ferrar met Cora Livingston and was thrown in five minutes.
1: So I have to say that... Press then was so much better and more exciting uh, than what we get nowadays, and I I know that's very much in regards to most media being visual now as opposed to um, or you know televised, what have you, different different style of media. But no, I'm like this sounds so much more exciting. So another question, maybe we'll get into this, maybe we won't. I don't know. Uh, obviously, I'm sure there's some discourse. But what was Coral Livingston's finisher? What was her go-to to finish these ladies off?
0: This was kind of a time before a signature finisher, which by and large came from Frank Gotch with his famous toehold. Yes, Evan the Strangler Lewis was famous for his stranglehold, but by and large, that would start becoming outlawed and becoming not necessarily allowed. And a stranglehold, can mean several different types of chokes. So, yeah, Cora Livingston didn't really have a singular finisher to win a match. Now, you're going to notice the wording on that because she would get disqualified all the goddamn time. So, her wins... I love her. Yeah, a a lot of her wins are just kind of listed as, you know, a a crotch, uh, you know, a half Nelson and crotch hold, things like that. But the deeper you get into this, her... Winning cleanly is going to become less and less part of the story.
1: <laughs> Good. Okay. We love that. We're still in the
0: villain origin story. The Buffalo Courier on March 20th, 1907, continuing the coverage of the Lafayette. Cora threw Bertha Smith in two minutes and Emma Goodrich in two minutes and 30 seconds during the afternoon session. In the evening, Mamie Warner was beat by Bessie Ferrar and Cora Livingston through Mae Colbert in three minutes and 30 seconds. Quote, tonight, a new wrestler will appear in the person of Celia Pontos, the wife of Carl Pontos of Montreal, who claims the championship of the world and who will have an opportunity during this tournament to defend the title. On the 20th, The Buffalo Times also hyped the appearance of Celia Pontos. Quote, Celia Pontos, champion lady wrestler of Canada, will make her first appearance. Celia Pontos is the wife of Carl Pontos, the noted foreign wrestler, and acquired most of her knowledge watching her husband training for some of his big matches. Mrs. Pontos has always athletically inclined, and after a few trials and much practice, became an expert. About two years ago, she wrestled her first public match in Montreal, Canada, beating Miss Mae Vickers in straight falls. Miss Vickers, at that time, was Lady Champion of Canada and was considered unbeatable. Lady
1: Champion uh, is a great turn of phrase, by the way, that I wish would be brought back, (laughs) as opposed to Women's Champion. The Lady Champion. Anyway, proceed.
0: Celia Pontos was was described as, quote, a quiet, unassuming, refined little lady when off the stage. But from all accounts, she is a perfect demon when wrestling, going at her opponents like a tiger and beating them as quick as she can. So now this tournament is becoming a story with a top notch foreign adversary. Because what does pro wrestling always need when you're an American? A A foreign deal.
1: Yeah. Or I guess in this case a foreign babyface, you know.
0: I mean that that's something you'll f- I always find in this time is so fascinating is you'll have the American babyface and the foreign heel, but the Americans the piece of shit like Frank Gotch versus George Hackenschmidt was very much like a Rocky IV, an American standing up to the giant foreign adversary, and Frank Gotch was just beating the shit out of him with headbutts yeah. and eye pokes with a with a referee who was never going to call him on it while poor George Hackenschmidt was just there trying to do a legitimate match. He's
1: just doing his best. (laughs) He's trying his best. Well, and that's what I was going to say is like, well, that's exactly what I said. I'm like, you got to have your foreign heel like time and time again. That's what we've always seen. You've always got to have the foreign heel because what do Americans hate? Foreigners, apparently. Um, yeesh. Uh, but I said foreign heel and I'm like, wait a minute. Cora Livingston is an established heel who always wins with like DQs and being a shithead. So what do we got here?
0: We have the greatest example of American xenophobia that this story can provide. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. On March 21st, the Buffalo Times covered the previous afternoon show. Mae Colbert threw Bessie Smith in three minutes and Cora Livingston threw Bessie Ferrer in five minutes, 30 seconds. During the night, Bessie Ferrer threw Bessie Smith in a minute 30, Cora Livingston threw Celia Pontos in 6 minutes 1 second, and now Miss Pontos will meet Cora Livingston again that night. So they would do a lot of things where, you know, you would have a win almost like a double elimination or a or a specific stipulation. And then it's like, oh, there was an upset or I beat you once. But now, you know, what if we're going to make this really matter? Everybody come back for tonight's show and pay another nickel. And we'll do this again for real for whatever reason.
1: So so once again, it sounds like uh, modern day wrestling has something to learn from uh, our, our old school
0: carnies. Another review of the tournament from the Buffalo Times on March 23rd, 1907, quote, The female wrestling tournament at the Lafayette Theater will terminate tonight. Yesterday afternoon, Cora Livingston met Celia Pontos to wrestle her for the second fall of the lightweight championship of the world. Livingston threw her in five minutes. Last night, Livingston met two of the chorus girls of the American Burlesque Company, Vivian Hoffman and Mae Chester, agreeing to throw them in 15 minutes and threw them in three minutes. Celia Pontos met Mae Colbert, and the bout resulted in favor of Pontos in two minutes. And let's pause to contemplate the fact that she just wrestled two of the burlesque girls, because it-
1: Did you see my face as soon as you started saying that? I was like, uh, yes, phenomenal. I love that. I'm sure the people love that too. What a great act. Gossert, when are you booking uh, Heidi Howitzer versus burlesque dancers handicap match?
0: I mean, why not? Because, I mean, again, it's just this is just throw spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks entertainment. Yeah, exactly. This is exactly. entertainment. This isn't wrestling. This is providing a spectacle. This is providing and that's, just that's so mad much design. Better.
1: And like, as a, a quick aside, that's what I wish all of wrestling was, because wrestling is a spectacle. It's fucking silly. It's ridiculous. Why wouldn't you mix in as much absurdity? Absurdity. absurdity? There we go as possible. Like that's, that's what puts butts in
0: seats, right? That's what puts my, my butt in a seat. The Buffalo courier on March 23rd relayed that quote, Livingston threw her Celia Pontos in five minutes, thus winning the best two out of three and practically the match. But Pontos was so hysterical and frantic that Livingston gracefully agreed to meet her tonight and let the third fall decide the match. I'm I'm picturing a hissy fit, like a toddler not getting a toy. But yeah, so she was just so inconsolable that she agreed to give her another match so people would have to come back and buy another ticket. And I, of course, could not find a copy of any Buffalo papers that covered the final night. These are the joys of being a historian. There is a good chance from what I could find that they didn't conclude their rivalry at the Lafayette until the 29th. So yeah, you would just find all these big tournaments building up to things. And again, there are barely even any rules for how this tournament is working. Is it double elimination? Is it best of three over three nights? Unless somebody's really upset all of the or above. they pull some sort of nonsense to get a fourth night out of it. Who can say?
1: Right. Which is is well, like you said, I mean, that's the joy or frustration, I guess, of trying to dig into this stuff is a lot of it does just kind of remain shrouded in mystery forever and you have to put together the pieces of the puzzle.
0: But she would stay at the Lafayette for some time because on the 28th, the Buffalo News reported that along with Charles Olson versus Walter Willoughby, Cora Livingston will be attempting to throw three women in 15 minutes at the Lafayette Theater. On the 29th from the Buffalo commercial, Charles Olsen will meet ex-detective Solomon of this city. Celia Pontos will be given an opportunity to sustain her claim to the female lightweight championship of the world in a match with Cora Livingston. Best two out of three, which was then reviewed on the 30th with good wrestling bouts from the Buffalo Courier. Pontos versus Livingston with Pontos winning the first fall and Livingston winning the next two to win the match. I love her,
1: <laughs> everything you've said
0: before. I'm like, this This woman really speaks to me. Because not only is she a draw, I mean, she's been the star at a multi-night tournament at a theater in Buffalo in 1907. They're doing a great job of drawing money with her, because her versus the, the foreigner, Pontos, and they're setting things up where, oh, well, you know, she won, but she was being so hysterical about it. They offered her a rematch. So they are working angles where she's enough of a draw where people are being returned customers. They are coming back- Yeah, the they're invested in her coming her back. Night. Yeah. And from there, it was on to Detroit. The Detroit Free Press on March 31st, 1907, the Avenue Theater ad, Bessie Farrar versus Cora Livingston. And yes, you will see a lot of these same names attached to Livingston as adversaries, as competitors, as other women on the card. And I wish I could find more information about them because there's also a lot of people who opine, and I'm included, that a lot of these same women through these tours are just the same women doing different names claiming to be from that city.
1: And that's what I was wondering too, because I mean, I don't see any reason why, especially since this was the time long prior to anyone being able to look up anything online or see anything being televised uh, or syndicated or anything like that, you have that opportunity to just put matches on a loop. Why would you not? And then if you do have press, okay, just change your fucking name.
0: Yeah. Especially in these pre-internet days, you know, how are you going to verify that, you know, that Susie McQueen isn't actually Stacy St. Clair wearing a different set of gear claiming to be from that city. And this is something the press would eventually start pointing out that it's the same woman doing the same match in every town under a different name, claiming to be a local. Um, well how else are you
1: going to get the baby face pop
0: yeah it's a great move it is pro wrestling 101 and it's something that was very easy to do because again you don't have you don't have the internet you don't you can't go on twitter and look at photos and say is that this person is it this person there were barely any photos of the stars in the paper let alone their barely known adversaries so yes nine times out of ten if you see you hear a name that isn't a repeat name it was probably the same woman from the last match using a different name in a different town under a lucha mask you know the usual (laughs) and then she kind of disappeared from the record for a few months but keep in mind wrestling was a seasonal sport it went fall to spring because a summer is harvest time a lot of the cities that draw hot in wrestling were in the midwest or were in agricultural areas and people weren't buying tickets because they had to go thresh wheat or whatever that keeps the economy going and keeps a roof over their head and food in their faces plus most buildings that would host wrestling are way too goddamn hot during the summertime this is a time
1: Oh, well, sorry. That's that's what I was going to say is I when you mentioned the harvest and everything like that and, and work, that made perfect sense. But I was like, at first I was like, seasonally, that's odd. And then as soon as you said, well, was it, fall through spring? Like, of course, because summer, it's crazy hot.
0: Yeah, this, these were days before air conditioning. So you would have a venue, which would be a brick building or whatever, and it's just absorbing heat all day. So if you pack a thousand people into it, it's going to be brutal, especially so when you're doing
1: So like... Athletics. So like last july at the oriental theater
0: yes
1: (laughs) we've all been there folks if you're a wrestler and you're listening to this you have probably wrestled in a building without ac yeah let's just switch to seasonal have summers off sounds nice they were doing it right back
0: then from the buffalo morning express august 31st 1907 answer to a wrestling challenge sporting editor express In answer to Cora Livingston's challenge, I will say that I accepted her challenge and it was announced to the audience we would wrestle tonight, but she now declines to do so. I have never lost a match and am willing to meet her on Saturday afternoon or night at the Garden. Signed, Laura Bennett. Have you ever heard the name Laura Bennett?
1: Yes, but I I don't, I mean, apparently in conjunction with wrestling, but I couldn't tell you any more of that.
0: Laura Bennett was one of the famous Bennett sisters, along with Crystal and Alla, who would box, fence, and wrestle each other on the vaudeville circuit. It has been documented that at the age of 12, she won the women's championship off of Alice Williams in 1901. So she is a very accomplished vaudeville and burlesque theater wrestler. She was a famous woman wrestler in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And there is the argument that she was the lineage woman champion going back to the Police Gazette, Richard K. Fox championships of the 1890s. So Laura Bennett was a star. She was newspaper famous. Her and her sisters traveled all around the Midwest. They were primarily based out of Kansas City. And they would box, they would fence, they would wrestle. They would do all these crazy combat athletic exhibitions And that's how they made their money. But Laura would also do the challenge matches. And Laura was also listed as one of the legit trainers of Cora Livingston. So by all means, that does put them in each other's sights to make a little money in this sport we call pro wrestling.
1: Sorry, I just pulled up my laptop. I'm like, I want to, I'm this, this. So, okay. I know we're talking about Cora Livingston, but... Laura Bennett sounds so fascinating to me. Now I'm like, I want to dig into this or the Bennett sisters. I want to dig into this. What have you done to me? Uh, no, this is amazing. And like, I wish again, not to get really off topic of, of Cora Livingston, but more so kind of on topic with what they were doing at the time. I wish more events, attractions, um all of that. I wish they were um, structured. There we go. Words are hard guys. I wish they were structured more like that. I think there's so much to be said for these big variety shows that aren't just the circus. Uh, it's, it's, that's entertainment, you know, but there's not much of that anymore.
0: And another key player enters the picture. The Buffalo Inquirer on October 30th, 1907, article about local wrestler, Jack Mills, who has recently returned from Kansas city quote leaves again tonight with his wife who is known on the stage as Cora Livingston. So this is the first mention of Jack Mills as her husband and also as her manager, the Elmira star Gazette on October 31st made the same claim and connection. The Kansas City Star, on November 2nd, had an ad for both Jack Mills and Cora Livingston at the Century Theater, home of comedy two comedies daily, taking on all comers, the wrestlers, not the comedies. <laughs> the Emporia, Kansas, Gazette, on November 4th, 1907, Women's Progress. At the Century Theater, Cora Livingston made her challenge to defeat any woman in 15 minutes and, quote, Miss Clara Bennett of Kansas City, obviously they meant Laura, arose from her seat in one of the boxes and accepted the challenge. The match will be pulled off at the Century tonight. Miss Bennett is one of the original Bennett sisters who have been touring the country, giving boxing exhibitions for several years. After the theater last night, she posted a forfeit of $25 with the management for her appearance. This match will be of interest to wrestling followers, as few of them have any faith in the ability of a woman to give a good exhibition to the sport. But it is claimed by Miss Livingston that she can make some men wrestlers look like amateurs. Good. I hope she
1: did. I hope she dog walked them. Uh, And this is actually really kind of fun and interesting for me as well. So for those of you that don't know, uh, Heidi Howitzer, yours truly, currently resides in Wichita, Kansas. And in my shoot day job, I actually travel a lot to Emporia, Kansas and Kansas City and all this stuff. And like, there is old downtown Emporia. And now I'm curious to check out all of this stuff because of that. I'm sure I will not find anything related to that, but it's, it's neat to think of, you know?
0: And how did the batch go? From the Kansas City Times on 11-6-1907, The rustler's hair fell, an accident in the feminine tussle on the theater stage. But the world champion allowed her opponent to repair the coiffure and then pinned her shoulders to the mat.
1: She got, she had time to repair her coiffure. Like, like, oh, you fix your hair. Perfect. That's great. I love that for her.
0: Quote, a drop curtain wiggled up at the center theater last night. And the audience saw a white mat in the center of the stage. A man in a brown suit approached the footlights. Cora Livingston, he mumbled, waving at a woman who stepped from the wings behind him, champion wrestler of the... His words were drowned out by the applause. The crowd didn't care to listen. It was there to see, and it saw a woman dressed in red tights with a spotted bathrobe wrapped around her. Cora Bennett of Kansas City, the announcer explained a moment later, and the crowd, turning to the right, saw another woman in a dark blue suit, her arms bare. Again... Laura Bennett, not sure if the announcer or the reporter made the mistake. Back to the
1: article. I, I was going to say, I'm really, I, I get it. This was still not super commonplace um, tech or equipment, I guess. I wish more pictures and footage existed of this stuff because the few pictures that you can find and everything are always, it's so much fun to see what they were wearing and what everyone looked like and the differences and the similarities. But like you said, the spotted robe, the red tights, like, yeah, I don't know, it's it's fun.
0: Yeah, it's something where, especially when you kind of get deeper to the story and you just think about like all these crazy shows she was in, all these insane antics that she was a part of. And then you find out that like, man, like what was that night? Like that night alone could be a movie. That night alone yeah. could be two episodes of a TV show about this person. And that was just her Thursday. That was that was just the wild life of a carnival circus vaudeville burlesque wrestler in the year 1907.
1: Insane. Absolutely just wild.
0: Back to the article. Quote, The woman in blue appeared to be less strong than the one in red, but made up for it in agility and knowledge of the fine points of wrestling. It took the crowd about two seconds to find out, and instantly they were for the one who seemed lacking in weight and strength. As the tussle on the mat, the woman in blue bridged and flopping over, wriggled out of holds that looked good for falls. Fine, the crowd yelled. Clever. Stay with her. (laughs)
1: i am so disappointed that there are not clever uh exclamations from crowds anymore really need to bring that back
0: oh i assure you there are very few clever things yelled by wrestling fans these days (laughs) touche then something unforeseen happened the knotted hair of the agile woman in blue came tumbling down about her face and shoulders Still in the grasp of her opponent, she calmly twisted both arms above her head, as if before her own mirror, and patted and twisted the refractory locks back into a knot. But unkind curls, a moment later they tumbled down again, and this time the crowd sympathized and called out, Hard luck! Give her the time to fix her hair!
1: (laughs) Consider it, really. I get it. I get it.
0: So the match was paused while they looked for the lost hairpins, Quote, a moment later, the woman in red rolled the other over quickly, and the referee patted her on the back, a sign that she had pinned her opponent's shoulder to the mat. Both looked real mad when they arose, and the woman who was down stepped forward quickly. That was a fake, she said in a spiteful accent. I wasn't down. I'll take her any time. How do you make somebody go over but also take bury them at the same time and keep this was just such a interesting way to start a feud where you have the contest between the brute Cora Livingston and the technician Laura Bennett but then her hair the baby face's hair comes unpinned and she's trying to put her hair up but the heel just keeps working her over and then the referee stops it and It stops the momentum and the baby face is getting the sympathy from the crowd and then the heel rolls her up and then the Babyface calls bullshit on the match because she says I was, I didn't have my shoulders down. That ref's an asshole. I'll take her anytime setting up future business.
1: Don't get upset with me when you see the exact same match format in my, at the October 20th triple L show. Um, no, like that's, that's actually, I love the thought of, well, it, it's, it's interesting because I can't decide if it would be more face or heel. But great spot is having one girl continually trying to fix her hair, fix her hair, fix her hair, and the other one just not just dragging her and talking shit the whole time.
0: Like it's obviously not what happened, but it would be very funny, like the, oh, trying to find her hairpin and the other one just schoolboys her.
1: Yeah. Like that's what I like. This is this is that's great storytelling. That's fun. She's good trying to do her hair, trying to do her hair, finally gets it up, boom, hair bump. You know, like, oh, there it goes. Yeah, writes itself.
0: And thus, we have the first installment in the rivalry between Laura Bennett and Cora Livingston. And with that level of showbiz insanity, that's a good place to put a pin in things, to call it a day for part one of our look at the life of Cora Livingston. We're just kind of getting into her life, into her story. But how are you liking this so far?
1: Oh, you're asking me and not our lovely audience. I love it. I was actually just telling, uh, it will be not in this in post, but I was just telling Mr. Gossert here how much I am obsessed with the Bennett sisters now. Um, So I know I'll be doing my due diligence and looking up some more info, but this is great. Uh, Cora Livingston is a, I would say a woman after my own heart, but I guess a woman before my own heart at this point. And I'm
0: excited to learn a little more or a lot more. We're just scratching the surface here, much the way that Cora Livingston would scratch eyes. This is a woman who, when I was when I was doing the research on this, almost every single day, her name would be in the paper. It would be an advertisement for her at this place. She's doing this match. She was covering this. And we were talking about times when she'd be in Detroit and they'd be talking about her in New York, Philadelphia, Boston. She was, to a certain extent, a celebrity athlete. She was a celebrity pro wrestler. But she was a woman living in the world of... Frank Gotch and Tom Jenkins and George Hackenschmidt. So that put her a bit of a deficit as far as star power is concerned, but she was still packing theaters night after night after night, drawing thousands of people, paying money to see her wrestling. And again, she's a name that barely anyone knows. So that's why I'm so excited to tell her story.
1: Yeah, something different, something fun.
0: So we'll get back to her next time in the meantime um make sure you follow us on twitter facebook instagram i will be posting a lot of the photos and articles and headlines and advertisements that i find while researching this so if you like those little nerdy bites by all means this is where you take that bite and i want to say thanks to the people who have made donations for research lydia steve and susie thank you so much it means a lot to me because i would be doing this show for free But a couple bucks here and there helps keep everything on the old interwebs, keeps my access to newspaper archives uh, going, so I deeply appreciate it. We'll be back in a couple of weeks for Cora Livingston Part 2. For Heidi Howitzer, I'm Nick Gossert. Talk to you next time.